Hello, everyone. A quick note about this week's show. We recorded this episode on Friday, April 13th, in the morning. Hours, less than a day before President Donald Trump and the Pentagon ordered strikes on Syria. And so, much of this episode, you'll notice, we are anticipating an event and talking about whether the United States government or the Pentagon will approve of a military action that has already taken place. There isn't much that we didn't say that we would not have said if we had waited and recorded our show on Saturday, April 14th, after this act. We talk about the media. We talk about uh, the context of the alleged chemical attack, the kind of evidence that is out there. We openly discuss our views and perspectives, and, and, and Rania heavily weighs in on the, the, the many things that need to be said about the ongoing war in Syria. But it's clear that the media is not happy. Almost unanimously, they wish that the Trump administration had gone farther to wage war, to, to make war on April 13th to launch more missiles. There are reports out there that suggest that uh, targets were hit. Uh, it would seem that a chemical weapons research facility was allegedly destroyed, but we don't know for sure if it was still being used for chemical weapons development. Um, the Russians and Syrians deny that they were still developing such chemical weapons. We also have reports that the Syrian government were able to shoot down a number of missiles that were fired and were able to defend uh, from having some of their systems and facilities completely damaged. But then again, the Pentagon is denying that this is even the case. So there's some time that needs to unfold here where the, the, the truth of what happened can be sorted out. And also the organization for the prohibition of chemical weapons had their inspectors ready to go and they were to be deployed in Syria just less than 24 hours after Donald Trump took this act. It's quite deliberate. It undermined this impartial investigation. They didn't wait for any kind of a report to come out that confirmed that sarin gas or chlorine gas or whatever kind of chemical agent had been deployed against uh, the, the children, the women, the civilians that are depicted in the videos. And so uh, that's, that's where things stand. Uh, and I hope that our show still uh, fills a, a gap that exists in the way that people cover and discuss and follow this ongoing Syrian war. I hope that you can find some value in it. And so here is this week's show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola. I'm joined by Rania Kalak. Hey, Rania. Hey, Kevin. And uh, there's a lot to get to. Uh, Unsurprisingly for our listeners, we're probably not going to veer too much away from a subject that has dominated 
uh, the past uh, week or so, and uh, we've talked about Syria a lot on our show. We've dug into it probably more than a lot of other podcasts uh, that you may listen to, but it's just so important to uh, dig into. And, oh, by the way, uh, you made it back to the United States safely, so uh, how are you how are you doing in Virginia? Uh, well, I was, um, I got here and I was like, chill. It was a long ride. And I turned on the news and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was like, there's been an alleged, there's been a chemical attack in Syria and we got to bomb it. And I was like, wow, I like just left the Middle East and now. Yeah. Nothing like, and since then, nothing like being in close proximity of breaking news and then leaving and going, uh, now I'm, um, uh, thousands of miles away. Yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, why'd I leave? <laughs> <laughs> but it's been interesting to be here for this because, like, to be in, like, D.C. and stuff. First of all, I'm convinced that, like, that the rulers of the universe are trying to brainwash us by shoving CNN down our throats wherever we are. <laughs> like, not only does CNN play in airports, it's, like, everywhere you go, like, I was at this hotel, and it was playing in the elevator. <laughs> like, they had CNN, they had, like, screens of CNN playing in the elevator. Like, no elevator music, just, like, scenes, like screens showing CNN talking about bombing Syria. I don't know how else to, to, to like, take that other than, like, CNN is trying to brainwash us all <laughs> by, by, like, being, like, forced, like, forcing us to, to down our throats. Like, it's being forced down our throats. Well, they only have one channel. Otherwise, they wouldn't be technically reading from the same script at, like Sinclair people because I've watched a day of CNN and they do actually say the same thing at the top of the hour every hour over and over for the yeah. entire day. If you've watched one hour of CNN in a day, you've seen everything they have to offer you that day, unless new news breaks. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just really... Um... Man, it's just, like, really concerning when – because I guess I get CNN International when I'm abroad. I don't get CNN, like, the U.S. version of it. And the mm -hmm. U.S. version of it is way crazier <laughs> um, and is just, like, a constant parade of war hawks in between, like, stories about Stormy Daniels. Yeah. It's just, like, Lindsey Graham – like, Stormy Daniels. And Lindsey Graham comes on to, to, to – and he says, you know, we have to target Assad and take him out. He's a legitimate military target to send a message to Iran and North Korea. That's pretty much a direct quote. And By the a, way, and uh, and giddy impeachment porn where they like to act like we're in the middle of Watergate. And I'm sorry. We're yeah. Just and they all think they're like doing God's work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Constant like uh, quick. Let's 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 rush in Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward and, and, and act like they're doing Watergate journalism again. And it's just like, no, you guys are just sitting around a table riffing about Donald Trump. Right, exactly. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just unbelievable. And you know, this week, it's been really crazy, because, like, what I've learned this week is that our news media likes, like, loves war more than they hate Donald Trump. Because, I mean, in between, like, most of their coverage is all anti-Trump. But as soon as it comes to Syria, it's like, Trump's got to go to war in Syria and maybe go to war against Russia. He has to. And actually, in fact, unless Trump goes to war in Syria, then he's basically, like, unless he wants to, like, if he wants to prove to us he's not a tool of the Kremlin, then he has to go to war in Syria. 
<laughs> Otherwise, clearly Russia's calling the shots. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just, my mind is blown. All right. So let's first set this up for people who are listening to our show this week. And let's do what 90% of the Western press, at least, refuses to do, which is provide a context for what's going on. Now, obviously, right now, it's really difficult to know. You tell me if I'm wrong, but the way I would set this up is that it's very difficult to get any reliable sources on what has happened as far as the alleged chemical attack. And so we uh, need some kind of an investigation before we can actually say conclusively uh, what happened. Yeah, um, I would start off with this, actually. I would start off with the timing is incredibly suspicious. Okay. Uh, The timing of all of this. uh, Because you have um, a situation, right, where the Syrian government is in a stronger position than it has been throughout this entire conflict. It is literally like winning the war. Um, it was in such a strong position in, in Duma that there was, I mean, they, they had no, tac- there's no tactical benefit either militarily or like PR wise to using chemical weapons. Like not at all, not domestically, not internationally. It's actually suicidal for the government to do that. They know that the international community loses its shit at the idea of chemical weapons, and they're not interested in inviting or provoking an intervention, because that they, they know that's what will happen, is using chemical weapons will provoke an intervention, right? Meanwhile, you have the militants in Eastern Ghouta, in Duma, this, it's a city in Eastern Ghouta, it was like the, you know, last weekend, Duma was entirely surrounded by the Syrian army because 90% of Eastern Ghouta had been taken back by the Syrian army. And Duma was under the control of Jaysh al-Islam, which, as I mentioned on the show before, is a uh, Saudi-backed Salafi jihadist insurgents group that wants to impose an Islamic state in Syria and has, in the past, proudly paraded caged Alawite minorities um, in the streets uh, for use as human shields. so this is these are the the militants in charge of Duma, um, and they were like on the verge of defeat, and uh, basically there was intense negotiations between the Syrian government and Jaysh al-Islam because Jaysh al-Islam was holding some two thousand to four thousand hostages, Syrians that they had taken hostage uh, several years ago, many of them Alawite uh, Alawites from like a minority Alawite town, uh, and they had forced these people's children to dig their tunnels. Um, they had many of the men, I think, have been killed, but they were forced to do slave labor as well. Everyone was pretty much tortured. And like I mentioned before, they were paraded in the streets in cages and need to be used as human shields. These people have had a very rough four years. And the government has been involved in arduous negotiations with these militants to get these people back because the Syrian public demands it, right? They've been under intense pressure to do that. So the other issue is using chemical weapons doesn't make sense because you're, I mean, there's a possibility of killing the very hostages that you've been trying to get released. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, Jaysh al-Islam had been offered a, uh, a um, basically an offer by the Russians to become a security police force, if you will, in Duma. They can hang on to light, we- they can be you know, given white, white weapons and basically work on the side of the government to be a police force. Uh, 
initially they had agreed to this. It was a pretty good offer, right? Um, but um, then the more hardline elements in Jaysh al-Islam, uh, it's it's rumored that they it's believed that they, they actually killed the more the, the negotiators and replaced them with hardliners. Either way, the negotiation team of Jaysh al-Islam was replaced with hardliners. Uh, and they said they wanted to keep their heavy weapons, refused the offer, and then Jaysh al-Islam started uh, raining down uh, missiles on Damascus, killing lots of people, which, by the way, you didn't hear about in the news uh, last weekend at all. No one cared. Um, but they were raining down missiles on Damascus. Uh, in fact, these were um, munitions that, projectiles that resembled cluster bombs because they had explosive fragments. And I saw this in an advisory that the UN sent to its staff in Damascus to be aware of these fragment bombs. Um, anyways, so then in response to that, the Syrian government responded by basically brutally bombing Douma. And it was under, it was in this context that the alleged chemical weapons attack uh, started, like claims started being made uh, by groups inside uh, Douma, like the White Helmets. Mostly, it was mostly the White Helmets in this case. Uh, so I just think that's important context to provide because it's never, it might be boring to hear that, but it's never explained in the mainstream press what was going on. And when you actually look at what was going on, the, I mean, the Syrian government has plenty of conventional weapons and... at their disposal that can do a lot more damage than chemical chemical weapons, and they have no reason to use chemical weapons. And, and they, there's no there's no benefit to them using chemical weapons. Whereas we have seen a pattern where whenever these uh, insurgent groups are on the verge of defeat, they try to do their best to provoke outside intervention. It's like... Um, you know, they like whether it's in Aleppo or in Eastern Ghouta, like a month ago, you just see like this, like, uh, you know, they just flood the news with images and photos to try and, you know, like break people's hearts so that you intervene and, and overthrow the government. That's pretty much their, their, what they need to, to win. Otherwise, they lose. At this point, by the way, Rachel Islam has been defeated. The government has taken back Duma. And I mean, there are people celebrating that these militants are gone. Uh, I'm not just like saying that to sound pro-government. I mean, this is on video. Um, these militants, I mean, were not pleasant to, to live under. Uh, so, uh, and no one seems to be, t I mean, and now we don't, I mean, we still don't know what took place, but now because the Syrian government took back Duma, you have an ability to actually uh, launch a proper investigation by sending experts there to test the area where this chemical attack allegedly took place, which is something that you couldn't do last year with Khan Sheikhoun, because Khan Sheikhoun is in Idlib and is under the control of Al-Qaeda groups that do not allow um, UN investigators or really any outside humanitarian organizations to, to operate. They, they are at risk of being kidnapped or killed. So in this case, you have the opportunity to launch a proper investigation. Uh, and the U.S. is trying to bomb Syria under a pretext that they don't have any evidence for. Uh, and I just and so that right there should raise serious uh, concerns and also raise several questions about what might have actually happened. And then, uh, you know, to what you were saying about all of the evidence that we have that of what's been going on that would make us question whether Russian forces or Syrian forces were somehow involved in the in backing the attack. Uh, I heard repeatedly, because like I said, uh, every top of the hour, you get the same thing from CNN. I heard from the correspondent that was there that the attack actually was taking place in the rear. Uh, he kept using the words rear echelon of 
like the fighting. So it wasn't on the front lines where the alleged attack took place, which wouldn't make sense that like they would uh, fire the chemical weapons, but not put them out like right at the front line where they were fighting uh, was, I guess, the the point that Syria government had been trying to make to the world. Uh, and also I'll add to that, that, you know, like I mentioned, uh, 90% of Eastern Ghouta had been taken back by the Syrian government. But prior to this um, to this uh, battle with Duma, and so in in that time frame, the uh, Syrian government actually discovered, or the Syrian army discovered chemical weapons, like a chemical weapons facility in Eastern Ghouta that was run by militants. So we know in the past they they have used chemical weapons. It's not just the government that that's been accused of this. It's also been uh, the militants that have been accused of it. They they're capable of producing. Uh, chemical weapons. They've done it before. So so if this attack didn't in fact take place, it doesn't automatically mean the Syrian government did it. Uh, because both sides are capable, um, are perfectly capable of, of producing these weapons. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw that out there as well. But yeah, was there, again, there's no tactical, like, there's no tactical benefit. And if then, anything, it's the opposite. And then what I also wanted to have you address more explicitly was the the fact that this group, which translates to Army of Islam in English, that's how the uh, U.S. press has been translating the name, uh, its very existence, they admitted that they were, to, to the Associated Press, um, this guy Haitham Bakar represented to the Associated Press that the very existence of this group would end if they had to leave Doma. Yeah, that, that was the only place that Jaysh al-Islam was ever... Uh, was ever in charge. And um, the other thing is Jaysh al-Islam, because a lot of militant groups that have like like been evacuated or left from the areas after they've been defeated, that the, that the Syrian government takes back, have been evacuated on buses to Idlib. But the groups that are dominant in Idlib, and actually not just Idlib, in northern Syria, uh, is either the Turkish army uh, or al-Qaeda and its affiliates, um, which is uh, Al-Qaeda, which has an umbrella group that goes under the, uh, the name um, HTS, Hayat Tahrir al-Shem. So uh, these groups do not, like Jaysh al-Islam does not get along with Al-Qaeda, and the Turkish uh, army does not like them either. So they didn't, they, I mean, for them, they don't want to go, they didn't want to go to northern Syria because it's like they're just going to end up getting into a war with these different factions. Um and so that was an issue. That's why they, they were serious. Like, it means they're, as a group, they, it is, you know, them being defeated in Duma means their ultimate defeat overall, unlike, um, unlike the other Al-Qaeda-linked groups that continue to exist after they're defeated because uh, they go to Idlib. And then, uh, so let's talk about uh, the way in which, uh, well, let's talk about what, is being proposed right now because we've got uh, uh, basically a, as you've been talking about, a rush to judgment. The United States government appears to have made the conclusion, although I will note just for the sake of accuracy, I know I'm not in any of the heads of these Trump administration officials, thank God, but uh, <laughs> but I will note that James Mattis did make a statement of that they hadn't concluded 100% that Syria was 
responsible. In fact, there must still be some doubt as to what they're looking at. And there must be intelligence that they're looking at that suggests possibility that other factions, militant factions, were responsible. That uh, there, there must be something that leaves them in doubt uh, because he said so to the press. Well, so right now, it's important to understand what's happening in Trump's administration is that you have basically um, the Pentagon, right, uh, is the only, like, is, is the only way we might be able to avert war is like the Joint Chiefs of Staff and James Mattis, which, is the, which aren't exactly like peaceniks. But because they're, they're made up of generals, because James Mattis is a general himself, military people just generally tend to be more cautious about bombing campaigns and going towards it's not because they're like peaceful people, but because they, you know, they, they, they're closer to the military. Uh, and so they're, they're, you know, they have to deal, they're, they're more likely to think about the consequences for the military, for the U S military. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas, so you have a bit of a division right now between those elements and then, um, which are kind of, you know, that's why you hear James Mattis saying, we're not sure who did it, but then you hear Trump's other people like Nikki Haley and Trump himself, and also now he's got John Bolton, who started this week as his national security advisor. Um, they're all just like ready to go to fucking war. Um, and I don't even actually I don't know what Trump is actually thinking, because a week ago, Trump wanted to pull out of Syria um, and, and the media and the war hawks had a fucking meltdown over that, like the world was ending or something. And now they're all invoking this chemical attack to say, see, we got to stay there forever and we got to escalate our campaign there. And you've got people saying, let's just go ahead and take out the government. So there's competing visions inside the Trump administration. And they're also dealing with this lunatic who keeps tweeting shit, you know, <laughs> that's confusing everyone, right? Like he tweets like the animal Assad will pay um, and Russia like will pay as well. And it's like, what the fuck? And that's another thing to consider. This is what people like James Mattis are concerned about um, is the potential of escalating of an escalation and a hot war with Russia is very serious. And the U.S. media doesn't seem to understand the gravity of the situation at all. They're sort of, people are very dismissive of that. I think I saw one person, I think it was like Murtaza from The Intercept, tweeting something like, like this notion that there's going to be a World War III is really stupid. He was like really dismissive of it and saying that imperial powers never go to war with each other. They just do it. They just kill Middle East or they just kill third world people. And, and, and so like there's actually like you don't have to have to worry about the U.S. or Russia hurting each other, which is fucking insane, by the way. It's not even remotely true. They'll there have been... Well, I was going to say, they'll use uh, countries as playgrounds for their war, essentially. I, like Afghanistan, Russia versus No, they United will. States. Yes, that's true that they will, but it's untrue that they won't hurt each other. I mean, World yeah. War II was a bunch of Western European countries killing the fuck out of each other. Like, like in, in their own land. On top of that, the most, the most the scarier thing about the U.S. and Russia going to war is, okay, we have not had a situation yet where you've had two nuclear armed powers going to war with like a hot war with each other. Yeah, yeah. That really hasn't happened. Even World War II, you didn't have, I mean, the U.S. dropped the atomic bombs on Japan, but those were like precursors to the kind of nuclear weapons we have now. Not nearly as destructive as what exists today, not even close. Um, and that was bad enough. So this is very, and there's, there's a potential for accidents. Like, I don't think people understand uh, and we've talked about that on the show before. Like, I think you had read a book that had some crazy shit in it. No, about, so um, we did the interview, uh, which, which you know, I, we put together with Daniel Ellsberg on 
uh, all of his experiences with nuclear war planning and how quickly accidents, mistakes can can take place. Uh, it you, you know they you can deploy aircrafts that have nuclear warheads. They can not get the order to be called back and then end up uh, firing missiles, or they can see explosions happen and think that um, it's a go. We have to go deploy our nuclear warheads. You know, any number of scenarios can take place that lead people to believe that, like, this is now, this is what we've always planned for, this is the sort of exercises that we've been preparing for, and then you escalate Armageddon, basically. Yeah, and that's what people don't seem to, like, take seriously, and I don't understand why. Um, But it's, like, really not in anybody's interest anywhere in the world uh, to have an escalation between the U.S. and Russia And that's what some people seem to be pushing for, which is fucking insane. And that's why I'm sorry. Like, it's my belief. We can sit here and talk about whether a chemical attack happened or not, and there's a good valid reason to have that debate or who did it. That is a very important debate to have, and I find it really disturbing how to even question the, the, the narrative that we're getting, that we're being fed with zero evidence, to even question it, uh, makes you like somebody who has a tinfoil hat on your head. That's how you get portrayed. Like you're wearing a fucking tinfoil hat or something and you're insane conspiracy theorists just to ask questions. Um, and that's, by the way, being like happening from people who I'm really surprised about who are just like buying whatever the U.S. government says. Uh, but like but aside from that, you know, um, aside from that, even if there was a chemical weapons attack, I would still say the U.S. should not be escalating in Syria. Yeah, the U.S. Yeah. should not be going to war with Russia and Syria. That is not in the interest of anybody in the world who cares about stability who cares about peace and who cares about not having a nuclear war. Like, and I don't say that lightly. Like, it's like, I don't understand why warning about that is being dismissed. Like it just doesn't, I, it's like, it, it makes you feel like you're crazy or something or everyone around you is crazy. <laughs> Especially when you watch CNN or MSNBC. Yeah. Um, I think it's important. Uh, Cause one of the things that I've been taken aback by is just how uh, nonchalant or uh, I, I the word that comes to mind is ignorant, but that doesn't really reflect what I'm trying to say. I Just how casually disinterested many senators and or representatives seems to be in the stakes here and what it could happen. And, you know, we've we've. I've not been trying to boost this guy because I think Democrats are great, but Chris Murphy is like the only person who put anything out this past week about what about why it would be so terrible to strike at, in Syria. I mean, first off, he said, let me get this straight. We're going to bomb Syria because Assad attacked civilians, but next door in Yemen, we are eagerly participating in a bombing campaign that has killed thousands of civilians. So that's just the hypocrisy angle. Then he went on and he addressed something which I know has made you livid, which is the fact that we are actually in a war in Syria. I mean, many, many people have talked about this as if Trump taking action would be like the beginning of U.S. war in Syria. So what he said was, Pinprick military strikes, like the one Trump launched last year against the Syrian regime, may make America feel big and strong and responsive, but there is zero evidence it has any effect on the calculations of Assad or his Iranian and Russian allies. The U.S. has been engaged in low-level covert and overt military action against Assad for half a decade. 
None of it has worked. In fact, most of it has made the situation worse. Just doing more of the same is the definition of insanity. Yeah. I mean, he's absolutely right. Absolutely fucking right. Also, I will add, by the way, um, the Democrats have been awful because they've been pretty silent. But this, the, the Congressional Progressive Caucus released a statement uh, a couple days ago saying we should wait for an investigation and Trump should check with Congress uh, first before he go. He can't bomb things without the authorization from Congress. I mean, I don't think that's the, that's the strongest argument to make, but it is an important argument to make is that uh, Trump is trying to use the AUMS uh, or I think that they're, they're claiming the AUMS that means that they can bomb the Syrian government. They still haven't provided a legal rationale for bombing the Syrian government last year. But that is not true. Um, the AUMF, I believe, is like about targeting al-Qaeda. Is that right? Yeah, this is the same thing we talked about when we were talking about Yemen and when I raised right. the issue of the vote. Because, again, it was also, do they have authority to take military action in Yemen? They don't. We still are. We're assisting in the massacres of Yemenis um, at, at the behest of Saudis, and, and, and that continues. As far as Syria goes, it's the same thing. I mean, the AUMF that we're talking about, to remind people, is 2001. It contemplated al-Qaeda, people who were responsible for attacks on 9-11. Uh, maybe it covered people we were attacking in Afghanistan. Legally speaking, again, we are talking legally. I'm not talking about morally and whether war is right or not. I'm talking about how this uh, so-called um, law works in the United States because there's a process that they, they pretend to follow as if they care about getting this right. And we just haven't. Like, they've abandoned their responsibility for the last five to ten years. And it's on. It's really on Democrats for the most part because Republicans don't believe in this shit. And that's, and that's, the, that's the frank and honest way of looking at it because you, I've seen Bob Corker and, and this other guy, Roger Wicker, who's a representative, basically talk about how they don't even care if Donald Trump decides to, like, bomb people randomly without coming to Congress first. It's the Democrats that have done the most damage here because they decided not to put any constraints on Obama when he was president. And so we're in this mess. Yeah, no, exactly. The Democrats are not doing much. In fact, I've spoken to some people inside the Democratic Party since I've been back in, in Congress. And from what I understand from what they're saying, it's like this isn't really a priority for anybody in Congress. In fact, they're fine with war on Syria. And that's what's so like that's what's so disturbing and sad is. It's the same thing over and over again. Like all this opposition to Trump when it comes to war just goes away. Like it's like it's it goes guts. It just disappears. It's like suddenly there is no opposition. Suddenly everybody's cheering Trump on. Um, in fact, okay, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna um, make a bit of a like a segue here into a, another topic I'd like to throw out, which is the fucking like Arab and Muslim Americans and organizations who are supporting this. The head of CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, Nihad Awad, who a CARE is an organization that does good work combating Islamophobia in the U.S., but they're awful on foreign policy because they're a conservative Muslim organization. And, um, and so they ideologically suck on a lot of these issues. And he was, like, tweeting, basically, like, begging Trump to overthrow the government in Syria. It's like CARE, not, CARE basically is fighting this guy because he's a huge fucking Islamophobe in the U.S. You're asking an Islamophobic president, a hardcore Islamophobic white supremacist president to please bomb Syria? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, it's just, and, and, and then there's, of course, the other Arabs who are um, 
given platforms in the mainstream press, like this guy, Kenan Rahmani, who's like an advisor for every pro-regime change Syrian organization out there, including the Syria campaign, which is the PR arm of the White Helmets. He was on Fox News saying he supports Trump and begging Trump to basically overthrow the Syrian government and saying, as an like, as a Syrian, we're begging you. And it's like, motherfucker, you don't represent all Syrians. In fact, your views inside Syria and in the, inside the area where people will actually be impacted by this bombing campaign are marginal. They hate you. They hate people like you. You're just some elite Arab American, I would say neocon, like right wing neocon who is like useful. You're like a useful fucking Arab. You're a useful idiot um, for US empire. And it just, it's really disgusting because all of these Arab American and Muslim American organizations that have like, that are politically oriented have been corrupted by Gulf, by money from Gulf monarchies and the State Department. And the only Arabs that you ever hear from when Arabs do get to have a platform to discuss the region of the world that they're from are the kinds of Arabs who agree with the US war machine. And it gives a very distorted portrayal about what Syrians and what Arabs want. And I can promise you they don't want to be bombed by America, especially people inside Syria. I can't, of course, I'm not claiming to speak for everyone inside Syria. I'm just telling you my experiences speaking to people across the political spectrum in Syria. And regardless of whether they like the government or not, they don't like these insurgent groups. They see them as Al-Qaeda death squads and they hate the U.S. for arming them. In fact, they, most of them blame the U.S. more than anybody else for prolonging and causing this conflict in the first place. Even if they're angry with their government, they feel that way. And in fact, like as, as much as we like to fearmonger about Russia, a lot of them are pretty thankful that Russia got involved. Otherwise, they, 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 feel, they feel like Damascus would have been overrun by Al-Qaeda and ISIS. So my point is, is like, you don't ever hear from those people in the US media. So please do not be like confused or manipulated by these right-wing Arabs and Muslims who are basically like claiming to represent people that they don't. Um, and the only reason they get platforms is because of their opinions are useful to the U.S. and because they have a lot of resources behind them. And we could also talk about, though I don't have uh, the exact language handy, but we could also talk about what happens with the hyperbole that goes out to people in, in newsletters or alerts from these human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch or, or Amnesty International which, you know, there's just like, not to say that I'm not trying to take away from whatever horrible experience some victim is going through, but it's just like, they'll send things out that are like, chemicals were raining down from the sky upon us. And <laughs> it just, what, well, what do you want to do about it? And obviously they're creating this climate for people to favor intervention. Absolutely. And they're also fucking like what's really gross, too, is how they um, they launch campaigns for donations based off of this shit, too. They're like, donate to us because people died again. That's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much the model of the amnesty and HRWs. But, yeah, no, they're all they're also very compromised. I mean, these human rights organizations, they do some good work. I know people who work with them, including Human Rights Watch, which I rail against a lot. Yeah. And they do really they do really good work in a lot of different parts of the world. However, they are also a soft power arm of U.S. empire. They receive money from the State Department. Oftentimes, some people, especially inside HRW, uh, 
that, that are in charge of the management are people who used to work with the U.S. State Department. Um, so they have an agenda when it comes to countries America hates. And that's why they go so batshit crazy over countries America hates, like over Venezuela, over Syria, whereas they're a lot softer on Israel, they're a lot softer on Saudi Arabia and whatnot. But they do a lot of real, real damage. And they, they and it's just gross because they make money off of it. Like whenever, like whenever someone dies anywhere like that Amnesty International is involved, you get these alerts of like, please give us money because someone died again. Like it's just really annoying um, and gross and it's just a gross business model. Um, but yeah, you have to be skeptical when it's a country, like, just consider this. I'm not saying the Syrian government's good, but when it's a country America hates, when it's a country that's on America's hit list, you have to be skeptical of the information that you're getting from American media and from American, um, human rights groups. You have to be, uh, because there is an agenda behind, there is an agenda behind this. And like, you should know at this point that the U S is one, it's like a, it's a big hypocrite. Like, it's a huge hypocrite. Like, like what Chris Murphy said, um, you're bombing like the richest country in the world or in the, in the region is Saudi Arabia. And it's bombing the poorest country in the region, Yemen to smithereens and causing a famine and a child dies every 10 minutes. And you're telling me that that, that motherfucker who runs that country, Mohammed bin Salman was here two weeks, was here like the last two weeks or three weeks uh, on a, on a, like a schmooze tour across the U S meeting and rubbing elbows with billionaires and celebrities and political elites. And everyone, all the whole news media called him a reformer. Meanwhile, Assad of Syria is like an animal. And that's not by accident. That is not by accident. That hypocrisy, that like confusing, like when you put those two next to each other, like what? Um, the way that those two get described is in line with American foreign policy. That's why it's like that. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that uh, when you do want to show skepticism and, and, you, and you do care about this kind of stuff, it's like the CNN will train you back on this thing. I mean, I, I said this before we started recording, and, and I, I feel like this just needs to be said, even though it's slightly on a tangent from where we are in our conversation, but video of people who have been hit by chemicals does not prove anything as to who was responsible at all. Like you can show, you can do that for anything. You could show someone who got wounded by shrapnel in a war. Well, okay. You could show the students, the, the video of students at Parkland, um, in Parkland, uh, in, at, at uh, the high school that got shot up a couple months ago. You could show the video images of those students inside uh, dying from gunshot wounds, and you could say any. You could you could just make your own narrative. You could say, "Oh, Russia did it." Yeah. Or like you know, this principal did it. You know, you could, um, and that doesn't necessarily like prove just because there's people hurt in a video doesn't prove who did it. It's absolutely that's a really good way to uh, frame that. Yeah, uh, and so let's uh, let's okay. So I, I told you I was going to read. Uh, something, it was a, 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 a mini tweet storm that MSNBC host Chris Hayes went on. Oh, God. This seems like a good oh point God. in the show to do it, I think. I haven't, by the way, I have no idea what he said yet. So, like, Kevin was like, well, we'll just wait and get your raw reaction. So this is the part of the show where we're going to we're gonna roast people who have been saying, uh, you, well, you've Stupid already things. been going after um, Arabs who are shilling for 
U.S. empire. But let's uh, let's talk progressives. Let's, let's go let's, after progressives. Let's go for U.S. empire. Or let's just go to this 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 ace example of concern trolling, which is what Chris Chris is doing here. Let's get something straight about the U.S. bombing and or striking Syria. It sounds like you might be going in a good direction. So let's see where he heads. The U.S. has been bombing the absolute crap. He put that in asterisks out of Syria for years. It just hasn't been attacking Assad. Uh, debatable. Oh, okay. All right. That's a that's an, okay. Though there was recently, and then he puts in parentheses. Though there was a there was recently a pretty damn deadly skirmish with Russian mercenaries supporting Assad. <laughs> then, he has a, then he has a second tweet. Those bombing raids in Syria have resulted in thousands of civilian casualties. Civilian casualty rates were distressingly high under Obama, but have, according to all indications, accelerated markedly under Trump. That's true. Yeah. In fact, all right. this is another tweet. In fact, the acceleration of bombing and civilian casualties in Syria is in line with a broader trend. In basically every theater of U.S. military activity, Syria, Iraq, Somalia, Afghanistan, Trump has increased deadly strikes while relaxing rules of engagement. Still true. Still true, but uh, I'm getting to the part that's going to make you flip. In other words, Trump has already been waging deadly war in the Middle East since the day he took office! Exclamation point. So if you're preening about your, quote, anti-war position because you don't want Trump to strike Assad but have been silent about all that, then you're not anti-war. Fair point. Oh my god. No, he's not making this stupid fucking point. Keep, oh, sorry, keep going. Um, uh, and then, here it goes. And the idea, this is, this is a final tweet, and the idea that the opposition to strikes against Assad is such a defining moral question, it excuses explicitly joining forces with reactionaries and white nationalists is, to my mind, misguided, to put it mildly. Oh my God! Shut the fuck up! You know what? This is the, this is the biggest. This is the worst kind of control, concern trolling. Because I'm sorry, where is Chris Hayes' monologue against war in Syria? Has he done one? Because unfortunately, and I'm not saying we should be supporting white nationalists at all, but the sad reality is that progressives suck so fucking much on Syria that you've got right wingers taking a more taking more stances against the war in Syria than leftists are. Not leftists, but progressives are. And liberals are. Like, why the fuck does Tommy Laren, of all people, have a monologue up against war in Syria, and then I hear crickets from progressives? Like, what the fuck is that about? That's a like, great why, question. Why, that, is, it, it's why great is Tucker Carlson one of the only pundits on, on mainstream media? He's a right winger. He's definitely got white nationalist leanings. It's wrong. Why the fuck is that the guy in mainstream press that is like the one voice making any fucking sense on Syria. That's a problem. Like, where are progressives? Where are liberals? They're either cheering this war on or concern trolling like Chris Hayes. Like, why is it all populist right wing people? Oh, what he has a show. He has, but he has Chris. Like, you know, this is what makes me mad. Is Chris has a platform. He has a show to be a pundit on TV on, on mainstream television against war in Syria. Like, go do that. Go do that so that we aren't dominated, so that, so that white, like, right-wingers and white nationalists aren't the dominant anti-war voices. Because they shouldn't be. Because their intentions are not good. But, like, 
it's just God. I, oh my God, it's going to make my head explode. Well, to that, I said, so, so this was my response to it. I said, I personally refuse to no longer take a consistent position because detestable groups or individuals suddenly hold that position. This is guilt by association to demonize the meager anti-war left. Frankly, why are progressives allowing right the right to make this there, and I put there in all caps, issue? Like, why, well, how, how, why are we going to s- let the right wing make non-intervention in Syria? Again, we are intervening to an extent. But escalating intervention in Syria, why are we going to make, let them control this issue? Like, it's kind of like we let them have anti-abortion, right? Like, that is a right wing issue. Are we really going to let them have not bombing countries? Like, is that going to be their issue? Like, the right wing is against bombing countries. The left is for it now because we have to engage in the world. Like, like what the fuck? Yeah, I, I'm just... Oh, my God. And also, like, who is he talking about? Does he even name anybody in his, tw- in his Twitter rant? Does he actually <laughs> name anyone? Like, who, you know, Jeremy Scahill did this the other day where he was like complaining on twitter about um about he was like oh us like all these people who are just like enamored and infatuated with assad like can't handle criticism of him like who the fuck are you talking about some like like the five people on twitter there are there's like five or six people on twitter who like will come after you if you're not pro-government enough but they're completely in conflict like those people are completely marginal they don't matter they have no say in anything they have no power they're just twitter trolls right but like I don't understand when the U.S. government and like then he went on this rant about how you know Assad Assad tortured Mar like Mararar. It's like it's like oh yeah I mean like Assad didn't torture him himself like the Syrian government like did but <laughs> which is really fucked up and they did it on behalf of the U.S. Uh, which by the way the U.S. did participate in in the rendition program for the U.S. but they were also under threat of being overthrown by the U.S. so they kind of felt like they had to it doesn't excuse it the point is is like what's the point of attacking a government that is literally like the U.S. is literally planning to destroy as we speak. The U.S. is literally laying out, mili- like devising military strategy to bomb this place as we speak. What is the point of joining with the chorus of the mainstream press to attack this government at this point in time? And to make these stupid concern trolling arguments about, oh, well, someone who was, someone called, someone got mad at me because I wasn't pro Assad enough. Like, oh, well, Jeremy, I'm just like, I'm just so annoyed with everyone. I'm just like so fucking, I've had it. Like I've had it on this issue of Syria. I try try to be patient and understanding, but some people are just more concerned about their social standing than about preventing a war. Like, I don't know how else, I mean, that's how it seems. It's like everybody wants to play this balancing act where like, oh yeah, they, they, they basically give in to all of the pretexts for bombing Syria, but then say, oh, but we shouldn't bomb Syria. Oh yes, they're, the government is, mo- is is monstrous and awful and eating babies and drinking blood and the government should go. It's a really bad government, but we shouldn't bomb it. And it's like, well, what, like, what the fuck is the point of saying anything if that's your argument? Like, you're basically just giving into all the pretexts that the U.S. is like is cooking up. You know what I mean? Like, I, when, yeah. when we were when, when when we were about to attack Iraq, like, w- would that be the wisest time? to make these bit to, to join the chorus of war hawks and, and pointing out to people how awful the Iraqi government is like, what the fuck is the point of that? Or to flip it around, if we were on the March to war in Iraq again, would you really get on your Twitter and say, 
oh no, I saw some Nazis that don't want to bomb Saddam. I can't be on the same side as them. It's just yeah. like, it's just like, what? I mean, honestly, you, I, I, I th- we've, we've really hit this ho- uh, home, I believe, but I, I'm not going to stop emphasizing this because I, I really want people to recognize the silence, like the sheer silence of people from, from, uh, Democratic politicians to, I know the, prog- you say the progressive caucus put out a statement. Great. But you know, one thing I noticed is that there were, there was an opportunity for people to make statements out of concern, out of fear, out of uh, uh, wanting to uh, guard against uh, us doing something stupid. And there are very, very few senators and or representatives that actually used their pages to put out press releases making a statement on Syria. I, I looked for them. There, there were like <laughs> a dozen people all together when you, when you add up the, the, the Senate and and the house that I was that I was able to to come across. There's like a, just a just a few dozen people that I that decided to weigh in. Many of them just don't know. They're probably not paying that much attention. And so, I mean, it is incredible. This guy Kurt Mills over at the national for, for the national interest wrote this piece documenting what you were talking about with Tucker Carlson. I don't know mm-hmm. that you were aware of this, but uh, we. Even have Nigel Farage coming out against bombing Syria. I mean, I hate that motherfucker, but he's 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 out there. I mean, apparently, yeah. apparently Laura Ingram. We can count her as against intervention in Syria. I mean, I mean, why why are these the people? We got Ann Coulter apparently is anti-war. I even saw a, a, a Sarah Palin being like. Look, the only people who are going to benefit from Syria are the people who are like defense contractors. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm just like, seriously? There's everyone who's a progressive or or liberal is hesitant to say anything about what war would do to Syria because they have they have they have bowed to this idea that they're going to be pegged and Assadist. They have bowed to this thing that they're going to be called. Um, a, like a Kremlin plant or somebody who's in the it, just just working for well, yeah, they already are. They already are being called those names just by being slightly like, well, maybe maybe we shouldn't bomb. There are you're like you're already being called those things. Like they're scared to be called them more. That's like, but they're the ones that do it. They're the ones that perpetuate that. That's what they do. It and too. I think that's the reason why they won't take stronger positions and why you know if you want to know why Chris won't do the program. It's off the narrative. I mean, the whole, the. I mean, I think personally that one of the reasons why the news is going to come off so schizophrenic in the next week here is because they both want the U.S. to confront Russia, and they both, and and they also know the risks of taking on Russia militarily in Syria. So I think that like we're going to see a parade of people who are contradicting each other over and over again it's just like it's like really really paralyzed anti-war sentiment it really has i mean it's just sometimes i'm watching the news or i'm like watching twitter and people are talking about nonsense and i'm like do you understand what's about to happen like it's like you see like an asteroid on its way to hit earth and you're like you guys like maybe we should care about that asteroid and everybody's just like stormy daniels and robert Mueller, and, and you're like but you guys like seriously, there's like an asteroid. It's about to. You just feel like this crazy person 
who like no it's like hello you're like shouting into a fucking black hole and no one can hear you and you're like you're trying to warn them that there's that asteroid hitting and they won't listen okay. and if they do listen if they do listen they call you like pro asteroid it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's such a clusterfuck <laughs> all right so one more on this and then i've got a couple pieces of mail from or, or comments from our great listeners that I wanted to get in here before we wrap the show. I don't want to leave this without completely trashing the New York Times editorial board once again. We've had some great fun this year going after them and how horrid they are. I believe the last time we talked about them, for those who have been following our show, you remember we called them out for the fact that they were getting worked up about John Bolton after they themselves had given him space to publish a piece that they, as editors, headlined Bomb Iran or something like that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah. And uh, now uh, we have a piece from Brett Stevens in which uh, he is uh, calling... Uh, he's renewing a call that he had put out when he was working for the Wall Street Journal. And we'll get to that. But basically, I want to start with the frame here uh, because it's called Staring Down on Syria. And this could not be more colonialist. I, I, he basically talks <laughs> about taking his poor children. I mean, it's like child abuse. He's taking these kids to the border uh, they're in Israel on this family trip, he says. I took them to have a closer look at Syria. He takes them to look down, uh, look, look at the Golan Heights. And so he describes the Golan Heights. I, I'll read it for you. This was, the, this was on the Golan Heights from a roadside promontory overlooking the abandoned Syrian town of Kenetra. The border is very green at this time of year a serene patchwork of orchards and grassland, and it was hard to impress on our kids that hell on earth was visible in the quiet distance. I don't know about you, but I have this like vision of this like European white Anglo-Saxon man standing in like galoshes and like his safari hat, like at yeah. the edge of this like Arab country border, motioning to his children that like, hey everyone, this could have been a good country, but it's it's become hell on earth and it's like it's up to us white people to fix it but we haven't been able to figure it out yet you know also what's interesting about that is like he goes on i read his article because i hate myself <laughs> um he goes on in that article to talk about how he may he uh repeats this uh bullshit claim that iran is colonizing syria which is like not true at all um, it's a stupid claim that's made by jihadist groups that like people like Brett Stevens suddenly trust. I don't know. Uh, but he repeats his claim that Iran is colonizing Syria as a reason, which is that we need to overthrow the government or, uh, to, to push back against Iran. So they stop colonizing Syria. Motherfucker, you are writing this from the Golan Heights, which li Israel <laughs> has literally colonized. Like yeah. you are in a colonial, like you're in a country that is actually colonizing land that does not belong to it. Um, and you're making this insane argument. Also, I really would take issue with this is this is what also pisses me off is you know he's got that whole like oh he's on a safari like a white a white westerner. 
uh, who's being super racist and colonialist, and he is, because you know when people go to Africa, they're always like, oh, it's so scary. The blacks here are really scary. Um, Syria is not hell on earth everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, there are pockets of Syria where there's a war taking place, but I have been to Syria, and there are pockets of Syria that are still beautiful and untouched. And there are also pockets of Syria that are going back to normal. And one of those places is the Golan area in Syria, uh, which uh, many areas have been reconciled um, and gone back into like and, and been reabsorbed by the government. Uh, and those areas, there's not, I mean, there's certain parts of the Golan where Israel is still funding uh, like jihadist groups, but they're tiny. Um, there's other areas where the Golan's relatively normal <laughs> um, and it's beautiful. And it's really stupid to say it's hell on earth like that. Like he didn't even go there. He just like stood at some like hilltop and was like, that's Syria. That's the area I read about, but don't go to. And that's the area I hear there's a lot of war. It looks okay. It looks okay right now. But beyond where I can see, it's hell on earth. Like go, go fuck yourself and your stupid imagination. I just have no tolerance for anyone today. No, exactly. Well, you should, there's no reason to tolerate. I mean, I, I, I mean to trash this. I, so I'm, where I'm getting all this, I, I hate myself too, Rania. I went to the trouble to um, <laughs> trash Brett Stevens when it's uh, to, to many people who have read my piece, they're like, well, it's self-evident. Like, this is his brand. What did you expect, Kevin? Like, well, still, I think it's important to challenge because the New York Times is making it legitimate by publishing it in their pages. People think it's okay and acceptable thought, and it shouldn't be. I mean, exactly. the, Gol the Golan Heights, the annexation of the Golan Heights was actually opposed by Ronald Reagan. I don't know if you knew that, but... Oh, uh, I actually did. I did not know that. On what basis was it opposed by him? Well, the, United, the, international well, the United States government, I don't know that Ronald Reagan ever explicitly took a position, but generally the U.S. government, like most of the world, opposed it because it was not consistent with the Camp David Accords. Mm -hmm. And they did, I see. they did not support Israel expanding these settlements into Damascus, which would, like, uh, make it, you know... A, uh, more of a clusterfuck basically and they're just like okay well you're undermining the it's the same position that we have today as a u.s government like they have hinged almost everything on settlements but allowed israel to get away with just about any other thing right like that's that's how i understand it right uh, yeah, yeah, yeah um now what i wanted to emphasize because i think that like this is the thing that's kind of buried in his colonial piece that he shouldn't get away with so you raised the issue of like the stuff with Iran, which is reckless and really, really stupid. But he renews a call that he made in 2013, I believe, when he was working for the Wall Street Journal. And he says uh, this first. Well, first, because, you know, he can't help himself. He has to. Um, he, he calls upon the racist imperialist Winston Churchill and says, Donald Trump's approach to Syria is an impulse wrapped in indifference inside an incoherence. That's apparently <laughs> something that Churchill said, something like that, a while ago. So he thought he was being clever. So Brett said that, <laughs> and he reminds readers uh, that he still favors targeting Bashar al-Assad and his, quote, senior lieutenants. I don't know who the senior lieutenants would be. He didn't outline it but he he says he would like them to be targeted directly in a decapitation strike just as the u.s attempted in iraq in 2003 and against osama bin laden in 2011 now this is a call for assassination he wants yes. to murder these people he wants people who can you are... imagine can you imagine writing an article about israel like that 
<laughs> he, he wants the government. Now he uses the euphemism decapitation strike. He's talking about assassination. Like he wants the United States. He wants the Trump administration to put members of Assad's regime on a kill list and uh-huh. go in there and drone bomb them. Exactly. What's the big deal, Kevin? America. It's a, we're talking about the United States of America. We have the right to do whatever the fuck we want. So, all right. That that clear. Uh, let's let's try to end on a less frustrating note. We've uh, uh, so so jaded. Uh, thanked us for the awesome tote bag. We've been sending out these tote bags to people. It arrived, and uh, jaded said, "You guys rock." So thank awesome. you. Awesome. And then Carl listened uh or or uh, we put up a post when we took our break uh, i shared some of the stuff that you were doing i sh- uh, shared some of the stuff that i was doing just so people could see that we weren't just uh you know we were on break from the show but we were still doing work and uh carl said keep fighting the good fight it's thrilling to know that both of you are spreading the word on multiple platforms and he said he'd continue to support unauthorized disclosure here on patreon so Thank you, Carl. We really appreciate your support and your engagement. Uh, we hear from you often, so thank you. And uh, let's see. Finally, uh, Yuri, who likes to leave us some uh, really long and, and awesome comments on our Facebook page. Um, he's one of the, the few people who leaves comments. It's always great to hear from Yuri. Um, and he just enjoyed uh, hearing us roast and uh make fun of Democrats um, a couple <laughs> weeks ago when we were talking about Tom Perez and the stupid survey that went up to Democrats. It was fun. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> and he said, no wonder their party symbol is a donkey because they are stubborn jackasses. And nice to know they still want the doomsday clock to be two seconds to midnight and all of us die from nuclear winter with their reckless NATO war in Ukraine and that the Dems are still endorsing the pivot to Asia policy. Um, he liked my response to the survey, um, and he said a view that I encourage Rodney and you, Kevin, to uh, uh, see. Oh, he said, I, I just wish I could see the reaction by Tom Perez and his cult followers when they get it. And interesting when talking about state repression of their own people, be it Israel and the U.S. two colonial states. And I encourage Rodney and you, Kevin, to think it's not just those two places, but in the U.K. UK we have an epidemic of black youth and black people dying in custody, as in Australia, the epidemic of deaths in custody of Aboriginal people who, like Native Americans, Maori, and First Nation Canadians, are overrepresented in prisons, suicide, poverty, and no representation in state oppression, murder. And what do these all places, all these places, have in common, along with Brazil? Oh, so just going on to talk about uh, Indigenous people. So, good point. Thank you, Yuri, uh, for your comment i'm glad you enjoyed our show we're glad everyone appreciates and continues to chip in and support the podcast and uh we're we're happy uh we think we're doing pretty well so far this year and uh we'll we plan to continue to have more episodes this month yeah thank you for listening and we'll be back next week